We are in Acts chapter 7 this morning. It's a long chapter, and I am going to read it. (laughs) Let the word of God speak for itself. So if you have a copy of God's word, turn to Acts chapter 7. If you would prefer to read the scriptures as they're projected on the screen, you certainly can do that as well. So track with me as I read the word of God as found in Acts chapter 7. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. This is Stephen now. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And then second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was sent out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? 
But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then, at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, in a fire, in a bush, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he drew near to observe. The voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, and after he had shown wondrous signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the, in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God 
And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We do not live in a place today where there is a sermon followed by a stoning. But there are places on earth where that exactly happens. Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, to name just a few. There are places where uh, missionaries become martyrs in mere moments. Those that serve Christ in these areas and countries and climates know the worth of Jesus Christ is such that he is worthy of us suffering and even dying for his cause. Make us to be a church that sees Christ that highly exalted. Make us to be such a church. The sermon's title is A Sermon and a Stoning. And the big idea today is this, that God uses soft-hearted persons who are in covenant relationship with him. God uses soft-hearted persons who are in covenant relationship with him. Stephen was the very first martyr of the church. Acts chapter 7 captures for us in Scripture the content of his sermon. Of course, it's the longest sermon of all the sermons recorded in the book of Acts. Let me give you its unpublished title. The sermon's unpublished title is, You Are Just Like Your Fathers. Stephen told them, You are just like your fathers. If you look at verse 51, as the sermon is crescendoing, Stephen said this to the Sanhedrin, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You are just like your fathers. Israel was back then, and Israel is still today in covenant relationship with God. And Stephen's sermon basically has three main 
chunks to it. The first chunk of the sermon, verses 1 to 36, is the privileges of the nation of Israel. The second chunk, 37 to 53, is the rejection by the nation of Israel. And the last chunk of the sermon, 54 to 60, is the blame on the nation of Israel for crucifying Christ. Before we get into the sermon, let me state a few things that are obvious. The first thing I want to state is that this was not some ear-tickling little sermonette for Christianettes. This was not some positive pep talk to have your best life now. This was not a let's have a feel-good reminiscing journey down the national history of Israel sermon. There's none of that. Second thing that's obvious is that Stephen really, really knew his Israeli history. He had paid attention at his daddy and mommy's knees. He knew Israelite history. Number three, God's pattern in the sermon Stephen preached and God's pattern in Calvary Bible Church still today is that God uses persons to accomplish his plans. The sermon cites Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. God back then uses persons to do his plan, and still today, God uses persons to do his plan. And so the application point I'd like to draw at this point is don't sit back and, ex- don't sit back and expect God to use some per- person-less plan or book or seminar or conference to do his planning. Don't sit back and expect that a book without a person that a a seminar without a person responding, that anything without a person being endowed by God's power and, and steered by God's word, that's how God still gets his plan accomplished in this day and age. Amen? It's not a personless plan or a personless strategy or a personless seminar or a personless book. I wonder if it might occur to you that maybe God might not be working as much as he wants to work in your redeemed life because you're not yet making yourself fully available to him as a person that God would use to come to fruition God's plan. Could it be possible that the Lord has in mind something big, something really huge, something supernatural for your life? Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) It's likely. The little boy Samuel in the Old Testament said, Speak, Lord, for thy servants listening. Can't you hear that little boyish voice? Speak, Lord, for thy servants listening. That should be our prayer. Speak, Lord, in your words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I saw a moving van uh, once that had this on its side. It said, Any load, anytime, anywhere. That's availability. That kind of a tag should be on our redeemed lives. Any load, Lord. Any time, Lord. Any place, Lord. Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. The first section of the sermon, verses 1 to 36, talks about the privileges of the nation of Israel. 
And what did Stephen preach were the privileges of the nation of Israel? Well, he cited a lot of privileges. And all the privileges that Stephen preached that the nation of Israel had and still has are rooted in the covenants that God had made with the Jews. What covenants? The Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, and the Davidic covenant. These covenants that God unilaterally made with his people, the Jews, were the source, the bedrock of the, of the privileges that the nation of Israel knew back then. And what were the privileges that Stephen preached that the, the Sanhedrin would hear that they had as Jews who were in covenant relationship with God? Well, many. The privileges included God's appearance to their forefather Abraham. I see that in verse 2. God's call to a specific land. I see that in verse 3. A God-promised offspring for Abraham. I see that in verse 5. The covenant sign of circumcision. I see that in verse 8. The national preservation of a in a global famine, I see that in verses 11 and 12. The national population burgeoning, I see that in verse 17. Leadership, preparation for Moses on the backside of a desert for 40 years, I see that in verses 20 and 29 and 30. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, that is a theophany in a burning bush as an appearance to Moses. I see that in verses 30 to 34. These are the special spiritual and physical blessings and privileges that Stephen preached to the Jewish Sanhedrin about their blessings as a nation that were wrapped up in their covenantal relationship with God. That's what he preached. They were a privileged nation. Compared to all the other nations on earth, the the Jews were and still are a privileged nation. But what historically did the Jews do with their great privileges? Did they seize them? Did they claim them? Did they believe them? Did they live them? No, they didn't. And at this point in history, when Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin, there was multiple instances of the nation of Israel's failures to live up to the privileges that they had been given. And so the second section of the sermon, verses 37 to 53, Stephen talks to them, preaches to them about the rejection by the nation of Israel. And the covenant nation of Israel had gotten hard-hearted. Because of the hardness of their hearts, they rejected the privileges that they had given to them by the covenantal-making God. Will you notice the indicators of their hard-heartedness in the sermon? Israel rejected Moses and his leadership. I see that in verse 39. Israel disobeyed Moses' directives. I see that in verse 39. Israel commissioned the sculpting of a golden calf idol. I see that in verses 40 and 41. Israel disallowed the true God dwelling in the temples of their individual hearts. I see that in verses 42 through 50. Israel stubbornly resisted the Holy Spirit. I see that in verse 51. Israel persecuted all the prophets which the Lord sent to them. I see that in verse 52. And not only they persecuted all the prophets God sent to them, but verse 52 indicates that Israel killed some of those God sent prophets to them. Killed them. 
And Israel failed to keep the law which had been given for their national good. I see that in verse 53. And all of that, all of those shortcomings, all of the failures to be a covenantal people in appreciation of the blessings and privileges of the covenants, all that is called one thing in Stephen's sermon, being hard-hearted. Now, lest we look down our spiritual pious nose at Moses' first congregation of Jews that were hard-hearted, could it be that the affluent church in the West, Western Hemisphere, the affluent, unpersecuted church of the West, could it be that we have our own problems with hard-heartedness? Is the evangelical church in the West, where it costs very little to be a follower of Jesus Christ, could it be that the evangelical church in the West, including this church, could it be that we have our own hard-hearted problem? Well, let's go down the historic list that evidence that Israel was hard-hearted. Let's go down the very same scriptural list, and you tell me if hard-heartedness is a problem in our church, if hard-heartedness is a problem in the evangelical church in the Western Hemisphere, okay? Rejected. Let me ask you, are pastors respected as much as they once were? Disobedience. Do we ever hear people say, I don't care what the Bible says. I want to do this or that or that. Idolatry. Do we love or trust anything or anyone more than we do Christ? Closed hearts. Christ is my Savior, but not my Lord. It's legitimate for me to say no to him in some things. Persecution of the prophets. Is there a roast of pastor served up for lunch ever on Sundays? Murder of the prophets. Jesus taught, if you call someone raka in Aramaic, empty head or rockhead, we would say idiot. Jesus taught, if you call someone idiot, you've murdered them. Law-breaking. Do we keep the Ten Commandments? Well, no. Do we keep Christ's commandments? Not 100%. And so the truth is, when you compare certain quarters of the evangelical church in the world to the ancient nation of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel's hard-heartedness was diagnosed by certain specific things, and those same specific things, when you ask of those things of the modern-day 21st century evangelical church in the Western Hemisphere, that we are guilty of the same things. All of them. All of them. We have a heart problem, a hard-hearted problem. I told you before that a friend of mine introduced me to a seminary in India where I had the privilege of teaching the seminary students for two weeks the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, a rich life experience. 
The students of that school, seminary, pray that the American evangelical church will be persecuted. Not because they hate that church, but because they know the benefits, the spiritual benefits of being persecuted. And they are concerned that the church at ease without persecution has not learned the spiritual lessons that are needed to be learned. And still we would have hard hearts, but persecution melts hard hearts. And so hard-hearted isn't just a before Christ, B.C. problem. Hard hearts is an A.D., Anno Domini problem as well. And so we should not look down our pious noses at the congregation with Moses first pastored a long time ago because there's plenty of them and us. And we live on the other side of the cross to the side they lived on. And we have completed Bibles, Genesis to Revelation, and they had no such luxury. And we enjoy a new covenant with God, a a new covenant based of grace, which they didn't know. And we know plenty about the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in his word. And they, Moses' congregation, only knew hints about Jesus Christ. So don't look down our noses to ancient Israel when we look at their hard-heartedness, please. The third section of Stephen's sermon, verses 54 to 60, covers the blame for the crucifixion of Christ is laid at the nation of Israel. Verses 54 to 60 present this blame. And generally speaking, church family, reacting to something is different than responding to something. When we react to something or someone, we usually act out of our flesh and not the Holy Spirit. And when we react to someone or to something, usually we sin. In contrast, when we respond to something, when we respond to someone, we usually are controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when we respond to someone or to something, usually we honor God in our response. Therefore, we ought to make it our prayerful ambition to respond daily in living and not to react. In verse 54, we clearly see that Stephen's congregation of of fellow Jews sharply reacted negatively to his sermon. Verse 54. When they heard these things, that is a sermon, when they heard these things, that there were privileges to the nation of Israel that they did not take up upon, when they heard these things, that they were stiff-necked and hard-hearted, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They reacted. They didn't respond. They had reactionary sins to the sermon's truth. Reactionary sin number one they had, verse 4 says, they were cut to the heart. The Greek could literally be translated, they became livid. They became irrationally angry. They became explosive. They became violent. They became full of rage. That was reactionary sin number one to the sermon. 
but there were more reactionary sins to his sermon. In verse 57, we're told they got louder. Third reactionary sin, verse 57, they plugged their ears. Fourth reactionary sin to the sermon, they became murderous. That's verse 58. So it's like bang, 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 bang. Livid, loud, deaf, murderous. Livid, loud, deaf, murderous. They reacted and they did not respond to Stephen's sermon. You will see with me in verses 54 to 60 that there's a striking contrast in these verses. It's the contrast between the mob and the preacher, the contrast between flesh and Holy Spirit, the contrast between religion gone wrong and relationship with God done right. The mob was hateful, Stephen was loving. The mob was closed, Stephen was open. The mob was depended on itself, and Stephen depended on God. The mob asserted, but Stephen submitted. The mob was out of control, but Stephen was calm. The mob was offended, Stephen forgave. The mob killed, Stephen fell asleep. The mob was hard-hearted, Stephen was soft-hearted. Remember the big idea of the sermon? God uses soft-hearted persons who are in covenant relationship with him. I trust that's you, and I trust that's me. God uses soft-hearted persons who are in covenant relationship with him. And so all of us who know Christ as Savior, children of God that are here this morning or listening on the Internet, we are on this side of the cross. We are a possessor of a completed Bible. We are the beneficiary of an indwelling Holy Spirit. We operate in a new covenant of grace. So it begs the question, which list looks more like you? you say, what? You think... Pastor Rob, that I could look like the mob list and not the Stephen list? Yeah, it's possible. It is possible for a true Christian to resemble more the mob than Stephen. All it takes for a true Christian to resemble the mob that stoned Stephen than to remember Stephen who was stoned. All it takes is living prayerless, grieving the Holy Spirit as a lifestyle, neglecting the word of God, spurning Christian fellowship and accountability. All it takes is pride, refusing to surrender to Christ as Lord. All it takes is getting a hard heart. Like the mob which killed Stephen, such an out-of-fellowship believer can be hard-hearted, hateful, closed, dependent on self, self-asserting, out of Holy Spirit control, easily offended, murderous. Remember, like I said, the Lord taught to call someone an idiot is to murder them. Now, before I sit down, I want to point out something that's obvious. Stephen was confronting his culture. If we will confront our culture 
And God knows that our culture needs confrontation. If we will confront our culture, then we must be like Stephen because Stephen was like Christ. Stephen was soft-hearted. And Stephen was in covenant relationship with his God. And so verse 55, referring to Stephen when he was being stoned, but he being full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 56 Stephen is reported to have said while they were stoning him, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 59, just before he expires in death, Stephen, the first martyr of the book of Acts, says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In verse 60, he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. In the field of law, there is a legal doctrine called the doctrine of clean hands. And in legal areas, this means that those who come to the court to seek justice must do so not having broken the law themselves, the doctrine of clean hands. Stephen had clean hands when he confronted his sinful culture. And we must have clean hands when we confront ours. If we would confront our culture, then we must be soft-hearted, full of the Holy Spirit, in full fellowship with our Savior, and living within our understanding of the covenant, the new covenant of grace. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we who call ourselves by your Son's name, Christian, know from what we've learned in this chapter that we need to have soft hearts, that we need to respond to your word and never to react to it, that we need to have soft hearts because we are full of the Holy Spirit, not getting more of him, but the Holy Spirit getting more of us to control. And if we would confront our culture, we need to be in full fellowship with our Lord and Savior. And if we would confront our culture, we would need to understand the new covenant of grace that is personified in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus for us. Lord, forgive us to any degree that our hearts have become hard before we leave the sanctuary or the computer monitor today. May we repent of any hard-heartedness that we have. Lord, we want to love you. We want to walk with you. We want to serve you. We want to tell others about you. And we want to confront our culture where it is evil and dishonoring to God. We pray these things knowing that as much as we desire to be soft of heart, that you are even more desirous to make us soft of heart. Thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus' precious name, the supremely soft-hearted Son of God. Amen.